First of all, I just want to say thank you to the chapel team for giving me this opportunity. Um, it is an honor and a privilege to stand here and preach the word amongst my fellow students, as well as the staff and faculty of Acadia Divinity College. Uh, the people of this amazing school, you guys, have not only treated me so well over the last three and a half years, you've honestly made this place the best possible home away from home that anyone could ever ask for. And for that, I am so thankful. So, on we go. A few years ago, I took a course here at ADC, Dr. Gardner's Spiritual Formation course, um, to be precise. And one of the requirements of this course was to attend a retreat near the end. And I put retreat in quotation marks. Now, you have to understand that Growing up, having grown up in a youth group in a Baptist church in Ontario, retreat to me means heading up north for the weekend to somewhere in cottage country, Ontario. Places like Muskoka, Lake Simcoe, Halliburton, Algonquin Park, and the many summer camps that these places have. Retreats were a time for us to get away from the craziness of city life and relax, immerse ourselves in God's presence. I've always loved these kind of spiritual retreats, as it was a youth retreat that, came, that became the catalyst to solidifying my relationship with Jesus. So they hold a very deep and special meaning to me. So when I heard we were going on a retreat for Dr. Gardner's course, I got super excited. But then I heard it was taking place at New Minus. And I, and I was like... And I was like, wait, that's just five minutes down the road. That doesn't seem like an adequate distance away from our daily life to be considered a proper retreat. Send us to camp somewhere where we're far away from everything. And we can... Catch an awesome sunset on the lake or something. But New Minus wasn't bad. <laughs> if anything, it was convenient to get to. Uh, I was, and, you know, looking back on it, I was with some really awesome people, and I actually found myself appreciating the chance to talk to God and connect with each other and dwell on Scripture. One thing we were asked to do on this retreat was to focus on the, uh, on the account that Annie just read for us. Uh, we were asked to meditate on it um, and then insert ourselves into that story in an attempt to answer the question, who am I in this story? What character in this story best emulates who I am and where I am on my own spiritual journey? What character in this story... Um, best emulates, how does it reflect where I am? So in normal retreat fashion, we got together in smaller groups, and we discussed. And hear me out here for a second. I'm not meaning to say that each person's spiritual journey is any less significant based on the answers they gave to this question. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to say. Having said this, I did hear a lot of typical answers to this question, you know, people said, I am the bleeding woman. I needed Jesus' healing touch, and I know he brought me out from a place of darkness and pain. Um, or people said, I was Jairus. I was begging Jesus to heal the people that I care for the most. I see myself as someone in the crowd just itching to get a glimpse of Jesus. 
People also share that they saw themselves as Jesus. Why? Because they've been called to be the caregiver in these situations. And, and sure, I can't argue with that. We're called to emulate Christ's caring character to the people around us. But I couldn't bring myself to claim that I was equal to the person and the works of Christ. But I digress. And I had to think about my answer for a while, so naturally I was the last to speak in my group. But I finally had it. In this story, I saw myself as one of the disciples, maybe not one of the twelve, but you know, somewhere in Jesus' inner circle. But not just any disciple, I think I would be the one who'd be whispering in Jesus' ears, saying the whole time, saying things like, hey, um, Jesus, Jairus asked for your help, and time is kind of the essence here. <laughs> I mean, he, he said his daughter is dying, and, and wait, what, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are we stopping? I mean, who cares if someone touched your clothes? We gotta move if we want Jairus' daughter to live. Believe me when I say I can get so task-oriented sometimes that many of my friends have nicknamed it the tunnel vision. But I'm wondering if anyone can relate to this. We know Jesus is Lord. We've seen him do magnificent things in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We know he's minutes away from doing something special, something awesome, something miraculous and life-changing. And our hearts are filled with this eager anticipation for the thing that Jesus is about to do. The hordes of people in this story can feel it too, and they're packed shoulder to shoulder around him, readying themselves to see Jesus at work. And we just want him to get on with it. We just want to to get to Jairus' house already so that we can see Jesus do his thing. But then, for some potentially inexplicable reason at the time, Jesus stops. And he asks what may have seemed like the most bizarre question at the time. Who touched me? Well, in Mark it says, who touched my clothes? Which one of y'all touched my clothes? (laughs) Let me just recap the story from the disciples' perspective here. They encounter Jairus, who tells them, my 12-year-old daughter is dying. Please come and heal her. And Jesus says, okay, take me to her. And so they start heading over to Jairus' place with a massive crowd in tow. And then suddenly Jesus just stops and asks, who touched my clothes? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's not the question that baffles me. There were people all around Jesus and the disciples as they made their way to Jairus' place. Um, It was packed shoulder to shoulder. And it says in in the book, um, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? It's not the question that baffles me. It's the timing. It's the timing that throws me off. You would think that the words, my 12-year-old daughter is dying, would carry some sense of urgency to them. But Jesus finds a reason, unbeknownst to the disciples and the rest of the crowd, and presumably Jairus himself, to stop 
and say, who touched me? Someone touched me. And here's where my task-oriented mind would kick in. Jesus, it's crowded. There are hands and elbows everywhere. It's probably nothing. Can we just get to where we need to go, please? Someone's life is on the line here. Come on, we got to go. Sometimes when we immerse ourselves in ministry, we can feel a similar sense of urgency. We have to get this done. We have to finish this report, that sermon. We have to reshape the church, establish a fresh new vision and direction because if we don't, something's going to die. We have to get to know this person and that family, etc., etc. Even as students who are preparing ourselves for ministry, we can be so focused on assignments, due dates, where all of our work will ultimately take us, where God will lead us once we graduate. But let me ask this. How many people in the crowd, disciples included, would have taken the time to notice the woman now kneeling at Jesus' feet had Jesus not said anything at all? If Jesus continued to just truck forward, focus solely on the task of healing Jairus' daughter, knowing full well that a woman had just been healed because of her faith, how many of us who claim to be his closest followers would have actually been aware that something awesome and magnificent and miraculous just happened right under their noses? My point here is that sometimes... We can be so fixated on where Jesus will end up leading us and all the, all the glory and all the excitement that's, that, that that's going to bring, but we miss what's happening right here, right now. All our studies, our assignments, our deadlines, our calendars, our schedules, yes, we can see how God has his hand in all of it, Because we're here at ADC to be equipped with the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience that will carry us forward in the work that the good Lord will one day entrust to us. It even says that clear as day in Ephesians. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have a glimpse of where Jesus is leading us. Just as the people in the crowd knew that Jesus was headed to heal Jairus' daughter, they were waiting to witness something magnificent. It's exciting. But it becomes an issue if it leads us to miss what Jesus is undoubtedly doing through us right here, right now, in this very moment. God's timing is not just impeccable. It's perfect. And he has us right here where he wants us right now. Yes, I believe there's a glorious future ahead for us, but he is also called to serve and notice his good work and the needs of the community around us right now. How many of us are going to take the time to notice those present and immediate needs of that community around us? How many of us are willing to emulate Jesus, not be Jesus, but emulate him to those who need his love and healing power right now? How many of us are willing to stand witness and join in with what God is doing right now? 
I'm less than four months away from graduating with my Master of Divinity. And I know he's getting me ready and revved up for where he's eventually going to lead me. And it's awesome. But it can be so distracting. Because I'm focused solely on where God is leading me, I'm scared that I'm going to miss something that's happening right here, right now. So what is God doing right now? What opportunities do we have to make an impact in His name right here in the present? And who knows, these moments we have right now may even enhance our appreciation for what God eventually has in store for us. But remember that God has us here for now. The greatness of His timing has brought us all to this very moment. So what are we going to do with the time He has given us? Right here. Right now. And I'll finish by saying this, and then we'll have a short time of of reflective prayer. The crowd finally gets to Jairus' house in this story, and they come out, and and they come to find out it's too late. His daughter is already gone, or so they think. The magnificence of Christ was still revealed to them when they finally got there. And Christ revived the girl. But because Jesus took the time to stop and point out what the power of God can do, even in the most broken of, pe- even in the most broken of people, the crowd that day got to witness not one, but two amazing, wonderful, majestic miraculous works of God. So even if we are convinced that God is leading us to an exciting, grand, and glorious future, let's not let that eager anticipation take us away from noticing what He is doing in this very moment, in us, through us, and all around us. Amen.